Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, the East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton has wrapped up a study on intercropping spring and winter cereals for green feed and grazing. We'll hear from research coordinator Mike Hall and research assistant Heather Sorstad. Also on today's program, Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were showing upward movement during the past week. Provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats will join us. A porcine epidemic diarrhea elimination plan has been developed for Manitoba. Janelle Hamlin, the Director of Swine Health with Manitoba Pork, will outline that for us. And, of course, pulse breeding in Saskatchewan is headed in a new direction. The Saskatchewan Pulse Growers partnered with Lima Green in July of 22. SPG Executive Director Carl Potts provides an overview of the work that's been done in pulse breeding. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX and Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. The East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton has wrapped up a study on intercropping spring and winter cereals for green feed and grazing. Research coordinator Mike Hall says the value of the approach depends on your requirement for fall grazing. This cereal intercrop project was developed by Charlotte Ward from Saskatchewan Agriculture out of Yorkton. The objective of the study is to demonstrate how a spring cereal intercrop with winter cereal creates an opportunity to still have a decent quantity of silage or green feed with the added bonus of providing some fall grazing because the winter cereal component just keeps growing. The winter cereal also keeps the ground covered into fall which is good for the soil. Fall grazing winter cereals can also take some pressure off the perennial forage stands, allowing them to rebuild their energy reserves prior to the winter. Research assistant Heather Sorstad explains what types of cereals they grew. This part of this trial is monoculture plots of haymaker oats, maverick barley, and SO-1 oats. Haymaker oats is a forage variety with very large leaves. Maverick barley is a forage variety with attributes of CDC cowboy, but it has smooth odds. It also has lots of logic. CDC SO-1 is a new forage and feed variety which is gaining popularity. 
It is a variety with high oil growth and a low lignin hull, making it highly digestible and this reduces the need to process grain before feeding it to cattle. When harvested as green feed, fewer whole seeds will pass through the animal even if oats are harvested a little more on the mature side. Mike Hall then goes on to explain how they conducted their study. Each one of these monocrops has been seeded as an intercrop with winter triticale and Italian ryegrass. Each crop was seeded at a three-quarter rate when intercropping. The Italian ryegrass is a finer grass, so it's easy to see we got a good catch. I understand this is not always the case, and having good soil moisture at seeding probably helped. The Italian ryegrass will not overwinter here in Saskatchewan. In contrast, the winter triticale can overwinter, providing another opportunity for grazing the following spring. There were no interactions between the spring cereal used and the cropping system, whether it was a monocrop or one of the companion crops. This allows us to focus on the main effects of monocropping and companion cropping with winter triticale in Italian ryegrass. In other words, each one of these values is averaged over the spring cereals used. From this figure, you can see intercropping with either winter triticale or Italian ryegrass did not increase green feed yield over the monocrop. In fact, intercropping with winter triticale significantly reduced green feed yield. Winter triticale was obviously more competitive with the spring cereal than the Italian ryegrass. While the companion crop did not provide any yield advantage, it did increase total digestible nutrients by a couple percent and decrease acid detergent fiber by a couple percent. In addition, the crude protein was also increased by 2% when winter triticale was used. In other words, green feed quality was improved a little bit by including a companion crop and this was likely due to the leafy nature of the winter cereal. Grazing yield was significantly higher for winter triticale compared to the Italian ryegrass. Here is how the fall regrowth looked on September 20, a couple days before the grazing yield was taken. You can see there is more regrowth of the winter triticale on the left than the Italian ryegrass on the right. However, the superior grazing yield of the winter triticale was not enough to compensate for the yield loss in green feed. Companion cropping with Italian ryegrass provided the highest total forage yield. This occurred because the Italian ryegrass was less competitive with the spring cereal and still provided a decent grazing yield. However, it should be noted that precipitation during August was 50% above average. If conditions had been dry, the Italian ryegrass performance in fall would have been much poorer compared to the winter triticale. Let's look at the main effects of spring cereal. Each of these values has been averaged over cropping system, i.e. monocrop and companion crops. Haymaker oats provided the highest green feed yield followed by SO-1 oats and then followed by maverick barley. Unfortunately the spring cereals were not all established at the same emergence rate. For the monocrop, haymaker oats had the highest emergence rate of 337 plants per meter squared followed by maverick barley at 273 plants per meter squared and then SO1 oats at 222 plants per meter squared. The higher emergence rate for the haymaker oats may have given it a yield advantage over the SO1 oats. Also, as you saw in the introduction, the barley lodged, which would have reduced the green feed yield. 
In order to get an accurate yield, we had to physically part the rows before harvest to ensure we weren't dragging in extra yield from the guard rows. If we look at grazing yield of the companion crop, you can see it's significantly lower when the competing spring cereal was haymaker oats. Again, this may have been the result of the higher emergence rate for haymaker oats. Whether haymaker oats was truly more competitive than SO1 oats is uncertain. Overall, a companion crop with maverick barley provided the lowest total forage yield. Again, maverick barley lodged in this study, whereas the oats did not. The background level of soil nitrogen was quite high in this study due to back-to-back -back drought during the previous two years. I might add the maverick barley was harvested nine days earlier for green feed than the oats because of its earlier maturity, so it wasn't because we harvested the barley late that it lodged. Everything was harvested at soft dough. Maverick is only rated as having fair resistance to lodging. Conclusions the value of intercropping depends on the seasonal forage requirements of the producer. Companion crops provided the most forage production and somewhat improved forage quality of the green feed. Using winter triticale resulted in reduced green feed yield but provided the greatest grazing yield. Using Italian ryegrass provided decent grazing yield without reducing the green feed yield. So it provided the best of all worlds here. However, I don't know that we can always count on this, because the fall regrowth was aided by the moist conditions in fall. That's Mike Hall. He is the research coordinator at the East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. Public Service Alliance of Canada strike that began last night is affecting 65% of employees at the Canadian Grain Commission, including most inspectors of outbound grain at ports. CGC services, which could be partially or fully disrupted, include official grain inspections, export certification, analytical testing services, and grain weighing services. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, meanwhile, says certain programs and services may be affected in the event of a labor disruption, including service at the department's contact center. AAFC's list of potentially affected programs includes Agri-Stability, Agri-Invest, the Poultry and Ag On-Farm Investment Program, the Wine Sector Support Program, the Youth Employment and Skills Program, and federal programs under the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership Policy Funding Framework. Prices for green and yellow peas have been starting to move further apart. That's according to Lavon Sergison, grain broker with Johnston's Grain at Wellwyn. He points out that prices for yellow peas have been slipping back recently. He notes export demand has dropped overseas, so that's been pushing the yellow pea prices down. He adds the market that seems to be taking more yellow peas right now is the feed market. Meanwhile, green peas have held steady or bumped a little as that market remains strong. He notes it's been around $13.50 per bushel picked up on the farm. Poland has agreed to lift a ban on the transit of Ukrainian grain and food products. However, Ukraine says the wartime deal allowing it to safely ship grain from Black Sea ports 
is still under threat. Failure to resume exports into Eastern European countries or secure an extension of the Black Sea grain deal would trap large amounts of grain in Ukraine, hitting its exports and causing further economic problems for Kyiv as it battles Russian troops. European Union member states Poland, Hungary and Slovakia had imposed import bans to protect their markets from an influx of cheaper supply following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and Warsaw banned their transit through Poland over the weekend. However, the new deal will go into force at midnight on Friday. Meanwhile, farmers in the Czech Republic have 40% more grains in stock than a year ago, as surging Ukrainian exports to European markets have replaced Czech exports. That has the country's Agriculture Association warning of a potential squeeze in storage capacity. Romania looked set to follow Slovakia, Poland and Hungary, but the Czech Farm Ministry says it doesn't plan a similar move, saying it would violate European Union market rules. The Czech Agricultural Association says the country's farmers had 2.6 million metric tons of grain in stock, that's 40% more than a year ago, as grains from Ukraine that were meant for markets in Africa and the Middle East have filled European silos. It warned of a threat of a lack of storage capacity for this year's Czech harvest. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture attaché in New Delhi, Rapeseed production in India has been forecast to remain quite consistent. The attaché projects rapeseed production for 2023-24 to hold at 11.5 million metric tons, the same as 2022-23. The USDA's official numbers placed India as the world's number four producer of rapeseed behind the European Union, Canada and China. The department is scheduled to release its projections for 2023-24 in its next supply and demand estimates on May 12th. The attaché's report was predicated on favorable reservoir water storage levels, as well as good soil moisture and sufficient usage of fertilizers. However, the El Nino that's to form later this year could reduce rainfall amounts during India's monsoon season. The attaché also notes excessive precipitation from January to April of this year likely reduced quality levels for crop seeded during the winter. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has warned lawmakers that the acute drought afflicting the southern European country will remain one of its leading long-term problems. Sanchez addressed the Madrid-based parliament today. Spain's farms are reeling under prolonged below-average rainfall after a record-hot 2022. Officials in Spain's northeast around Barcelona predict the area will enter a drought emergency by September. And wildfires are already coming earlier than usual, with swaths of the countryside bone dry. And be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. We have snow and minus two degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were showing upward movement during the past week. 
Provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats says feeder steers ranged from $340 to $241 per hundredweight, depending on the weight category. Saskatchewan feeder prices averaged mostly higher last week compared to the previous week. Saskatchewan feeder steers below 600 pounds were unchanged, while the category is above that 600 pounds to average higher compared to the prior week. Prices were from $340.38 per hundredweight for the 4 to 500 weight steers to $241.17 per hundred weight for the 900 plus pound category. The largest gain was in the eight to 900 pound steers, which were up an average of 1081 per hundred weight over the prior week. On to Saskatchewan heifers, they were mostly higher compared to the pr- past week amongst the categories reported. Prices ranged from 304.25 per hundred weight for the four to 500 pound category to 242.25 for the 800 plus pound category. The bottom weight four to 500 pound heifers fell on average 525 per hundred weight over the previous week, while the six to 700 pound category was up 617 per hundred weight over the prior week. She outlines the factors behind the price increases continues to be a demand for the limited supply of feeder cattle, and this is driven by signals from the futures and predictions for improved barley and corn production ahead in 2023, and these factors are indicating the potential of improved margins ahead. Froats has the marketings for the week. Canfax reported 8,426 head of Saskatchewan feeder cattle sold over the week, which is below 9,165 the previous week. And as for market-ready cattle prices? The Canfax price for Alberta-fed steers reported on April 14th was 223.57 per hundredweight, and this was up 598 per hundredweight compared to the prior week, which was at 217.59. Alberta cow prices were mixed compared to the prior week, and D2 cows averaged 130.42 per hundredweight for the week. On average, they were up 76 cents per hundredweight in comparison, and D3 cows were down 56 cents per hundredweight to average 115.90. Provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats compiled this week's market report. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for June closed at 163.60 today. That's down 160. August live cattle closed at 162.75, down 130. May feeder cattle closed at 210.47, down 102. August feeder cattle closed at 226.77, up 70. May lean hogs closed at 78.77, down 5. June lean hogs closed at 86.42, up 67. And that's the livestock market conditions. A porcine epidemic diarrhea elimination plan has been developed for Manitoba. Janelle Hamlin, the director of swine health with Manitoba Pork, told those on hand last week in Winnipeg for Manitoba Pork's 2023 annual general meeting that there's been a continuous decline in cases of PED 
from the 2021-22 outbreak. We happily to report we've we've been seeing a continuous decline in, in our um, cases from the 2021-22 outbreak uh, continuing here into 2023. Uh, cases We haven't had any new cases come up uh, in 2023 recently uh, and cases continue to move through that elimination status. So we are certainly uh, keeping a close eye coming into spring of 2023 for, uh, for any new cases and encouraging strong biosecurity, uh, being that spring has been a, a time that we've seen PED pop up. She outlines the areas of Manitoba that have been at the highest risk of PED. So our high-risk area for PED has remained the same uh, since really 2017. It's it's that southeastern portion of, of the province, so south of number one highway, east of 75 and into this uh, to the border, the U.S. border and the Sandy Lines Provincial, Provincial Forest. So we've seen that high-risk area stay consistent through um, our PED outbreaks. We've had some cases come up outside, but they've been uh, more sporadic and, and thankfully haven't led to much spread um, outside of that HRA. The factors uh, particularly that we continue to look at are animal movements, uh, direct animal movements that are known, uh, as well as direct animal movements that are unknown, so unknowingly spreading the disease before we know that we have it on farm. So certainly looking at at ways that we can minimize the impact of of animal movements uh, and in disease spread, because we know if you move... If you move animals, you potentially can move disease. So uh, looking at, at that more closely, as well as uh, as biosecurity around transportation. So working with our, with our producers on, on loadout biosecurity and, and understanding that process a little bit better. Um, other factors, we, we certainly in this outbreak have seen, have seen different factors that, that we hadn't seen before. In, in the winter months, battling uh, the high viral volume in the area, we hadn't really seen that before. So cold weather, difficulties with cleaning and disinfection, as well as the impacts of COVID. Uh, we had uh, labor impacts with people who had contracted COVID, who are isolating. And when you're short-staffed, it's really difficult to practice biosecurity. So certainly this outbreak has shown us different things or taught us different things that we hadn't seen before. Hamlin discusses how strategies to control the infection have evolved. Well, in, in 2022, it was it was decided that we needed to do just that and take a look at our strategies and, and what we have been doing and what's working well, what maybe needs to change in order to, to uh, combat this virus in maybe a different way. So the Future of PD Working Group was, was um, I'll say, launched or brought together in 2022 to evaluate exactly that, our processes that we have been using and potentially make suggestions on, on how we need to improve or change. So happy to say that that working group has has driven some really great work and the development of a PED elimination plan for Manitoba that we're in the process of, I won't say finalizing because it truly is a living document, but um, to getting out to producers and stakeholders to understand where we want to go related to biosecurity, related to animal movements, related to uh, prevention of the, of the disease um, in, well, not only in the high-risk area, but across the province. And if we do get cases coming up, how we're going to respond to them. Still meeting those overall goals of, of reducing the impact of, of PED to the province as a whole. She then explains what will be happening moving forward. What we're, as I say, currently looking to do some significant outreach and communication to the plan that we've developed. It, it's been a work in progress and will... Um, 
will continue to evolve and that messaging that we will uh, continue to to put out to producers and, and sector stakeholders as the plan is uh, is developed and changed over time. So that's, that's a big next step that we're working on. Uh, the targets, we're looking at reducing our over, overall number of infected premises year over year. So we're looking at a 50% reduction for our next large-scale outbreak. So uh, looking at 132 cases from 2021-22. It's reducing that down to half or 65 in 2024. Uh, and then year over year, reducing by half is, is one of our main targets. Uh, secondly, one of our main targets is looking at shortening that amount of time that a, a premises is is positive for PED. If we can if we can shorten the amount of time that the the farm takes to eliminate the disease, it really reduces the overall risk to the sector and potentially um, spreading that through through movement or biosecurity reach or area spread. Uh, so really looking at a more aggressive approach to to managing that infection initially. Hamlin believes their PED eradication targets are achievable. The piece that we're doing to, to analyze that, we're looking at doing some disease modeling to, to better understand that. Have, have what we've set out, is that feasible? Is that attainable? Is that going to work? And um, we've been working, fortunately, have a great working relationship with the province of Manitoba, the chief veterinary office, to do some of that disease modeling to validate the goals that we've set out. And she concluded with these final comments. Just continue to reinforce, like we're coming into into the spring months and, and we have been on that downward trend for PED cases, which has been wonderful to see. Uh, really just a, a plug to remind everybody on farm, when visiting high traffic facilities, uh, when moving animals, please uh, practice your biosecurity practices. Talk to your veterinarian if you feel that there needs to be some tweaks or adjustments or if you have questions, uh, you can contact us at Manitoba Pork or uh, contact your herd veterinarian uh, if there's any questions around biosecurity. That's Janelle Hamlin. She's the Director of Swine Health with Manitoba Pork. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up in one minute's time. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. One. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed down across the board today. May canola closed at 7.7250, down $9.30. July canola closed at 7.4390, down $9.40. May Minneapolis wheat closed at 8.67 per bushel, that's down 18 and a half cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at 8.61 and three quarters down 19 and a half cents. May Chicago wheat closed at 681 and three quarters down 16 and a quarter cents. May corn closed at 672 and a quarter down five and a quarter cents. May soybeans closed at 1506 and a half down 12 and three quarters of a cent. May oats closed at 347 and a quarter, down a quarter of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Pulse breeding in Saskatchewan is headed in a new direction. The Saskatchewan pulse growers partnered with Lima Grain in July of 2022. 
SPG Executive Director Carl Potts provides an overview of the work that's been done in pulse breeding. Since the, the late 1990s, really, SPG has, has had a series of breeding agreements with the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Centre. And under those agreements, SPG provided uh, large amounts of upfront funding to the CDC Pulse Breeding Program. And then we received exclusive commercialization rights for the varieties that were generated by that program. Uh, SPG then led the commercialization of, of those uh, varieties and released those varieties royalty-free out to farmers. So the vast majority of the leading pulse crop varieties in Saskatchewan, such as CDC Meadow Yellow Peas or CDC Maxim Red Lentils that growers would be familiar with, as well as some of the newer varieties like CDC Impulse or CDC Luwachko Yellow Peas, really came from, from that, this partnership. So our last iteration of that agreement was for 15 years, for 2005 to 2020. And prior to the end of that particular agreement, the CDC had told us that they didn't want to continue with that same model. They instead had wanted to move to a model with multiple funders rather than one large single funder, and then to generate revenue for their program from royalties on the commercialization of, uh, of varieties. So we had lots of discussions with CDC about, about the continuation of the, the you know, the previous model, it became quite clear that that, that model uh, you know, wasn't a, an option for us. So once we knew that that model wasn't an, an option for us, SBG spent a lot of time thinking about SBG's role in, in breeding and, and in, a, in a new environment. We knew that continued grower investment in breeding was, uh, was needed and, and was important. We also felt that uh, we could help create an environment to attract new investment in pulse breeding for Saskatchewan and make, uh, make breeding investments with multiple organizations as well. So both public and, and private uh, breeding. And, uh, and, and we also knew that if growers were to pay royalties on, on, on new varieties, uh, SPG would, would need to be, be part of that as well. So we established a couple of principles. Um, the board really established a couple of principles as we, uh, you know, to really help guide us, I think, in, in new investments in pulse breeding. The first principle it was to have a, an investor mindset. So if SPG is going to invest grower levy dollars in, in new partnerships and, and royalties are going to be charged to farmers uh, when those new varieties are commercialized, then some portion of those royalties would need to flow back to SPG. So that was really the, the first principle established by the board. The second one was around value sharing. So really important that we continue to have, you know, a significant portion of the value of new varieties remain in, in growers' pockets. So we want to avoid a situation where all or most of the incremental value of a new variety would be captured, you know, in, in, in and capitalized into the cost of the seed. So that value sharing component, ensuring that value of new varieties, um, th that there's value that remains in the growers' pocket was, a, was an important principle as well. So that's some of the background on, on sort of where we've been and then kind of where we are now. We're excited about this new direction and new investment uh, into, uh, you know, into pulse breeding. Potts then talks about what the future of commercialized pulse varieties looks like. Well, uh, this will be, be changing quite a bit. Um, New varieties from our Lima Grain partnership and any other new partnerships that we uh, we enter into will be commercialized through seed companies, like they are for for many other crops. So, some examples of companies that are involved in seed commercialization that could be potential partners, you know, down the road are companies like Cantera Seeds, Secan, FP Genetics, and farmers will be familiar with uh, with those types of companies. So, those are just some of the examples of companies that sort of take uh, you know take 
take the output from breeding organizations, um, increase uh, seed, and move that through the uh, the pedigreed seed process, and really work to commercialize those varieties. And in order to maintain and attract new investment in pulse breeding, breeders need to generate revenue when commercializing those new varieties. And royalties on certified seed use uh, just you know just really aren't enough. We have low levels of seed, certified seed use impulses, so royalties on certified seed only won't really be enough to attract and sustain new investment in impulse breeding. So therefore, new varieties commercialized through our partnership with Limagrain and other partnerships that we would enter into in the future would include uh, royalties on on farm safe seed, you know, as well. And I know that that's a departure from the past, but we think is a really important component to uh, attracting and, and retaining new investment in impulse breeding. However, we do want to be clear that any existing varieties that growers are currently growing will remain royalty free. So um, varieties that were generated through uh, our previous model or previous agreement with Crop Development Center will remain royalty free. We've committed to, uh, to that and growers will have the choice to continue to grow those varieties royalty free or to switch to new varieties that will have a royalty associated with them. So it really will be growers choice and growers own decision whether or not those new varieties offer enough value to justify the cost and we think they will uh, certainly down the road. So as, as I said earlier, since SPG is a funder of breeding work, a share of those royalties would, would flow back to SPG for reinvestment into, into research, market development, or other priority work. So that's a, a way that, uh, you know, that we can have some return on investment for growers' initial upfront you know, funding of breeding, and that'll flow back and we can make those uh, reinvestment decisions into research, market development, and, and other things. That's Carl Potts. He is the executive director of the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. His comments come from the latest Pulse of the Prairies podcast. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. Bayer Crop Science has launched the 2023 Opportunity Scholarship Program for Students. Grade 12 graduates looking to enter post-secondary education in agriculture, food science, or culinary arts can get some cash to help. Apply before June 8th to be eligible for one of 32 scholarships, each valued at $3,000, offered by Bayer Crop Science Canada. The scholarship program is available to graduating grade 12 students entering their first year of post-secondary education in agriculture, food science or culinary program at a Canadian university or college of their choice in the fall of 2023. Scholarships will be awarded to students based on demonstrated academic achievement, leadership in their community, and their vision for how they will contribute to Canadian agriculture in the future. Once again, the application deadline is June 8th. To apply, students can visit www.cropscience.bayer.ca slash our-company slash scholarship information. That's where you can review the program guidelines and connect to Scholarship Partners Canada, a division of Universities Canada, who serve as the independent administrator for the Bayer Crop Science Opportunity Scholarship Program. If you know of a student planning to pursue studies in agriculture or a food-related discipline of study, encourage them to apply today. 
And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Turning to the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions. A snowfall warning is in effect. For today, snow with 5 to 10 centimeters possible. Winds east at 25 to 50 and gusting higher at times. The temperature slowly falling to minus 2. For tonight's snow with another 7 to 12 centimeters. Winds east-northeast at 20 to 40, a low of minus 4. Tomorrow snow likely another 4 to 8 centimeters. Winds northeast at 20 to 40, then diminishing late with a high of minus 2 and an overnight low of minus 4. For Friday, partly sunny, winds north-northeast at 15 to 30, and a high of 0. For Saturday, partly sunny, a high of plus 2. Sunday, mainly sunny, a high of plus 3. In the Paw, it's 0. Swan River, Show Lake Russell, and Roblin are at minus 3. Dauphin, minus 2. Brandon, minus 1. Regina, Saskatoon, and Hudson Bay all reporting in at minus 1. Broadview, Mooseman, and Indian Head, minus 2. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 3. The Yorkton-Melville region has snow, an east-northeast wind at 35, gusting to 45 kilometers an hour. 90% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 2 degrees, with the wind chill it feels more like minus 10 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles.